started a series two weeks ago, and when I started it, I didn't intend it would be started on video. I thought I would be here, but we started it two weeks ago. Basics for Christian Living. That was that's the title of the the uh, uh, video or the series, and the first. Um, segment of that. We talked about the assurance of salvation. Last week, we talked about the forgiveness of sins. Today, um, in our Basics for Christian Living series, we come to a very important topic, the Spirit-filled life. Now, you can open your Bibles if you have your Bibles, but if not, I've printed, I think, most of the Scripture that we'll use today in your outline. It takes up a lot of the outline. But if you could go to John, the 14th chapter, the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, and what I want to do is make a list of some Bible facts about the Holy Spirit. You know, when we speak of the Holy Spirit, um, it's very important for us to have the facts. I think it's a paradox of our time that even though the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit from cover to cover, Many churches today never discuss the Holy Spirit's role in the lives of believers. A lot of folks just don't, don't talk about that. They run from that subject. While at the same time, the Holy Spirit seems to be all some churches talk about. And unfortunately, about half of what they say is the conjecture of, of men and not the truth from God's Word. So what I want to do today is, let's see what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Well, in John 14, if you're there, you'll follow along with me. I'm going to move along pretty quick and kind of put it in story form. But in John 14, I'm here, the Lord's announcement that he would return to his Father, it was very disturbing to his disciples. So then in verses 16 and 17, here's what Jesus said. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And then in verse 25 and 26 says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, I want to share three Holy Spirit facts from these verses right here. You know, and the first is this. The Holy Spirit is sent from God as a permanent helper. The Holy Spirit is sent from God as a permanent helper. You know, the word helper in the um, New American Standard and Counselor in the New International Version, and Comforter in the King James Version, all come from the Greek word parakletos, which literally means one called alongside to help. That's the, the meaning of that. And this Greek word is for an attorney or a counselor who would advise or, or plead one's case before a judge. So that's what that means. So Jesus said the Holy Spirit and would come and stay with us forever. He is our permanent spiritual counselor or helper. Fact number two, the Holy Spirit has the same, exact same personality, power, 
and purpose as Jesus Himself. The Holy Spirit has the exact same personality, power, and purpose as Jesus Himself. For three years, Jesus taught and He inspired and He challenged His disciples. But as He left them, He promised that His Father would send another who would be exactly like Him and replace His role in their lives. So basically, what He said was this, Guys, when the Holy Spirit comes, everything I've done for you and been to you he will do and he will be. Then you say, preacher, where in the world did you get that? I didn't see that in that verse. Well, it's right there in verse 16, in the word another. That word there, you want to circle that word because it's got special meaning there. Um, in the Greek, there are two words for another, alos and heteros. Now, you know what heteros is. We speak of heterosexual, you know, as opposed to homosexual. So you kind of know what that is. Hetero means another, only different. You know, it's the opposite of homo, which means one. Now, alos, the word here, means another, only the exact same. That's what that means. See, last week, I preached a sermon, and today I'm preaching another, a heteros sermon. You know, this sermon is different from last week's. Even though it's a sermon, it's different from last week's. But if you recorded this sermon today and you listened to it tomorrow, you would hear an alos sermon, one exactly like you're hearing today. Now, think of the, the implications here. You know, the Holy Spirit is another, an alos helper. Now, what does that say about the character and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit came to us to be everything Jesus in the flesh was to the disciples. You see, fact number three, the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us of the truth. In verse 17 that we just read, says, He is the Spirit of truth. Now, Jesus said, I am truth. But the Spirit is the one who makes the truth known. He's the revealer of the truth. And whatever is true is from the Holy Spirit, and if He says it, it's true. Because all Scripture is inspired by God, talking about the Trinity here, um, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we know that all Scripture is truth. And in verse 26, Jesus promised the disciples um, who later, under the Spirit's inspiration, um, wrote the New Testament. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of all that I've said. And still today, as we're living today, it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us and reminds us of the words of Jesus Christ. Now if you'll go over to John 16. Go over a couple chapters, John 16, and starting with verses 5 through 14, Jesus is still teaching about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told his disciples this, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, 
will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you um, into all truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of, of mine and will disclose it to you. Now that passage um, repeats some of chapter 14. A lot of the same things there, but let's add two more uh, facts, you know, from this text. Facts number four is this. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. In this text, the Holy Spirit is referred to by the personal masculine pronoun, he. And it's used more than a dozen times there. And folks, every time he is referenced in the scripture, he is a he. It's never an it. It's never a force. The Holy Spirit is a personality with a distinct and objective um, existence, essence, and agenda. And we need to know him as he is. Folks, we don't need to run from studies on the Holy Spirit. We need to know who the Holy Spirit is and how to access the power that he has. Fact number five, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness. One of the Holy Spirit's functions is to act as every man's conscience. You know, he's the one who makes people aware of their guilt before God and the need for justification, and the lack of righteousness, and the need for sanctification. One of his jobs is to convict us and to help us to see ourselves and our needs the way God sees um, our needs and ourselves. Now, if you turn a few pages over, go over to the first chapter of the book of Acts. So we're kind of continuing this journey through the scriptures here. The first chapter of the book of Acts and in verse 8, where Jesus reveals another role of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 4, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Spirit. And then down in verse 8, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So fact number 6 is this. The Holy Spirit empowers believers. The Holy Spirit empowers believers. Now, throughout the New Testament, the primary function of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians is to give us the ability and the power to resist temptation, to overcome Satan, and to witness for Jesus Christ. And then we know in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, it says of the Spirit, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, folks, we cannot live the Christian life and we cannot be witnesses um, for Christ without the aid of God's Spirit. It's an impossibility. But if we learn to um, appropriate His power 
We can resist temptation. We can do that. We can be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And through His power, we can overcome any sin, any struggle, and every challenge of life. Now, moving on. Here in Acts, on Pentecost, the promised Holy Spirit arrived. And when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come, we come to Acts 2, the Holy Spirit arrives. And just as Jesus said they would, the disciples began to boldly preach. And at the end of the very first gospel sermon there, the people asked, what must I do to be saved? Um, and then if you go down to verse 38 and 39, Peter replied this, repent each of you um, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's us, folks. All who are far off. That's us. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And then in verse 41, it tells us how 3,000 souls accepted the message and were baptized that day and the church was born. Now, isn't that a beautiful story? Man, that's powerful stuff. That is good stuff. Now turn in your Bibles over to Romans, the 8th chapter. As we move along through the New Testament here, here is Holy Spirit fact number seven. All true Christians possess the gift of the Holy Spirit. All true Christians possess the gift of the Holy Spirit. Folks, if God's Spirit is not right now living in your heart, you're not a Christian. That's about as plain as it gets. In Romans 8, chapter and verse 5, Paul speaks of those who, who um, live according to the, the sinful nature. You know, people whose minds are set on fulfilling their, their natural desires and are not living in accordance with the Spirit's guidance or, or, or leading. And then in verse 6, he says this, The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. You see, a person whose mind is set on the flesh doesn't want to obey God, couldn't obey God even if they wanted to because he simply doesn't have the spiritual power. Look at verse 8 here. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then in verse 9, however, you are not in the... However, you who are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you... Now listen. But does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. See, folks, the Holy Spirit is right now either working on your heart from the outside trying to get in, or he's working from the inside of your, your heart where he now lives. And if you have him, you belong to Christ. If you don't have him, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. You do not belong to Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible's promise is when we received Christ by repenting of our sins, by being buried um, with baptism into his name, we shall receive the gift 
or we shall receive the forgiveness of sins. That's his justification. And the gift of the Holy Spirit to begin our sanctification. That's how it works. That's where we receive that gift that God gives us. And so you either you have the Spirit or you don't. And John said, He gives the Spirit without measure. Now I know some people will pray, and maybe you've heard it too. You know, Lord, give me more of your Spirit. Well, the truth of the matter is, I think I know what they mean. They mean, you know, let us see more of your Spirit's power or, or be more aware of the Spirit's presence. But you see, there is no more. The Holy Spirit is a person, and you don't get him in pieces. You know, it's the whole person there. You know, it's like if you invited me over to dinner and said, Oh, Greg, we're so glad to have you here, but we just wish there were more of you to enjoy. <laughs> I'd say, well, let's get started on dinner. There'll be more. <laughs> Folks, if you're a Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit in your life. The question is, in any given moment, does he have all of you? That's the question. You see, the wind of the Spirit blows constantly. The big question is, do we have ourselves up? You know, are we allowing him to lead? Are we allowing him to mold and have his way in our life? You see, it's possible for us to quench the Spirit. You know, to have them, but not appropriate his power. You know, to live in the flesh and, and, and defeat rather than, and in the spirit, in victory. The choice is yours at any given moment of the day. So fact number eight, in every believer, the Holy Spirit is always resident, but not always president. Make sense? In every believer... The Holy Spirit is always resident, but not always president. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, starting with verse 15, uh, 16, going through 23, it admonishes us here, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I know this has kind of been a whirlwind and we've been moving right along, but we've seen who the um, Holy Spirit is and what He wants to do in our lives. But if you'll turn to Ephesians 5, we're going to go over to Ephesians 5 now. I want to give you one big action point from today's message. That's fact number nine. All who have received the Spirit need to be filled with the Spirit. All who have received the Spirit needs to be filled with the Spirit. Now, in verse 17 of Ephesians 5, 
It says, so then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, as we know, another word for foolish is stupid. So the implication here is, if you don't understand God's will in this area of your life, you're what? Well, some of you may say, well, well, I'm searching. Well, no, you're stupid or you're foolish, according to the Scripture. You know, Paul said, what I'm about to say, it's plain, it's obvious, and it's easy, so get it. In verse 18, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is a dissipation or uh, debauchery, Um, but be filled with the Spirit. What happens to people when they get drunk on wine? You know, they, yeah, they lose control of their faculties. You know, they, they yield control of their thinking and their behavior and bodily functions, you know, to the influence of an outside agent like alcohol or wine or whatever. They walk differently and they talk differently and their whole personality might change. When a person is, is drunk, they become a totally different person. Well, here's the analogy here. Paul says, do not be influenced, do not be taken over, changed or controlled by wine. But do be influenced or taken over or changed and controlled by the Holy Spirit within you. Now, at this point when I was studying for this this message, I kind of took a deep dive into this to really pull out some things I was curious about. At this point, I want to share with you some important insights into the word filled. That word filled here. First of all, if you study how this word is used in the New Testament, you'll find that, that it always refers to a state where in one moment, one emotion takes over and drives out every other emotion. You know, see, I would say most of us, most of the time, um, maintain an a, um, emotional equilibrium. We're kind of balanced here. You know, right now... Um, Most of you are not sad. Most of you are not uh, in ecstasy either. When a person is filled with joy, in that moment there's absolutely no room for any sadness. See, when joy takes over, it drives everything else out. When the Bible says people were filled with rage or fear, in that moment their whole being was focused and controlled by that one emotion. There was no room for anything else. That's what the word filled means. Filled means there's no room left. It's filled. It's full. When Jesus, when he cleansed the temple, he was filled with anger. In that moment, he wasn't a little bit angry. He was totally angry. And that's the way the word filled is used. You know, it's when equilibrium is shattered. And whatever we're filled with totally takes over and it controls our thinking and it controls our behavior. Another insight here, the Greek word filled is an, impa- is an imperative mood. You know, it's a command to be obeyed. It requires, um, on our part, it requires us to do something. It requires a conscious decision, you know, the exercise of our will. We have to do something, you see? God's just not going to just zap us from heaven, you know, and fill you with his spirit, 
You cannot and you will not be filled with the Spirit without making a personal, intentional decision to exercise faith and obey. It's something that we have to do. We have to accept that. Insight number three. Though this command requires obedience, the word filled here is in a passive voice. Now, English was not my favorite subject. In high school, in grammar school, in college, it's still not my favorite subject, and you can tell because I make boo-boos all the time. So I had to research this a little bit, but an active verb is where a subject acts upon the direct object, like I hit the ball. But a passive verb is where the subject receives the action, like the ball was hit by me. So this filling, the Holy Spirit here, is not something you just do by yourself. Rather, it's something you must receive. It's something you must surrender to. To be filled with the Spirit, you don't do more, you let go. You don't act, you yield. And insight number four, the word filled is in the Greek present tense which means it's a continuous action. Folks, this is not a command for us at one point in our life, you know, to have some religious experience that changes our life forever. This is a present tense command. It means that we must have repeated feelings. In fact, in every moment of every day, we must keep on being filled with the Spirit. We must constantly be surrendering to His influence and full control. The big question is, how do we do that? How do we do it? You know, Paul, he's already told us here. He's already given us some instruction on this. He said, if we have our mindset on the Spirit, we will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. And I know from experience, it is very hard to do because our flesh is naggingly persistent, you know, and everything in this world is designed to feed and stimulate it. It seems like the whole world is against us, and Satan knows how to pull our strings, and he's good at it. So what can we do on a very practical level to overcome the flesh and help the spirit? How can we do that? Well, Ephesians 5.19, the end of that, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Watch this. Flowing out of Ephesians 5.19 is a list of things that Spirit-filled people do. Verse 19 says, um, the Spirit-filled people, they speak to one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks, giving thanks God the Father. Spirit-filled people submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, spirit-filled wives submit to their husbands as the Lord. Verse 25, spirit-filled husbands who love their um, wives as Christ loved the church. And then in chapter 6, in verse 1, spirit-filled children obey their parents as the Lord, as in the Lord. And then in verse 4, um, Spirit-filled parents do not exasperate their children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And in verse 5, Spirit-filled employees obey their earthly masters, you know, serving them wholeheartedly, 
you know, as they were serving the Lord. And in verse 9, spirit-filled bosses treat employees in a Christian manner, showing no favoritism here. So you can see, this is what spirit-filled people do. Now, if you'll skip the book of Ephesians and Philippians and go to Colossians, the third chapter. Now, I thought this was really interesting. It kind of ties some things together. Colossians, the third chapter, and I want to show you something very important here. In Colossians, the third chapter, this is a parallel passage to Ephesians 5 that we just read. Okay? Colossians 3 is a parallel passion, uh, passage to Ephesians 5 with an identical list of the one we just read describing all the things that spirit-filled people do. Look in the middle of verse 16. They sang songs, hymns, and spiritual psalms with gratitude in their heart. Verse 17, in all things they were given thanks to God the Father. Verse 18, wives are submitting to their husbands. 19, husbands are loving their wives. Verse 20, children are obeying their parents. Verse 21, the parents are being good parents. 22, employees are serving their masters. And in chapter 4 and verse 1, the employees are providing for their employees with what is right and and fair. It's the exact same list, you see. But notice one thing different. This list does not flow out of the power that comes in the filling of the Holy Spirit. But look what it does flow out of. In verse 16, chapter 3, it says here very simply, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. So fact number 10 is this. Allowing the word of Christ to richly dwell in your life is the exact same thing as being filled with the Spirit. See, folks, the words of God are the handles by which the Holy Spirit of God guides and controls us. You know, we have to have the word of God in us you know, so he can use those tools to guide us and to control us. And I'll close with this. Fact number 11. There are two things that you can do to help the Holy Spirit fill your life and do his work. And that is surrender your will and saturate your mind with God's word. If you want the Spirit to be in total control of your life. Fill your life with God's Word. Read it. Study it. Hear it. Submit to its systematic teaching. Memorize it. Meditate on it day and night. And folks, to win your spiritual battle, you have to take up the sword of the Spirit. Give the Spirit some handles to control you. Give Him some tools to um, to fill you by allowing His words to richly dwell in you. You see, you have to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. And it's the Word of God. You put that there. And once again, it all boils down to this. Live the Word. Folks, I hope this enlightens you some on the, on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our friend. Folks, we cannot get along without the Holy Spirit Jesus knew this, so when he went back to his Father, he sent that helper that's just like him to live in our lives and to help us. And folks, we just can't make it without him. 
We don't need to be afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit. He's our helper. He's our counselor. He's the one that helps keep us out of trouble, keeps us on the straight and narrow path. And folks, we just need to live our lives in a way that we don't quench the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you loved us enough that you didn't leave us by ourselves. You give us your spirit to work in our lives, to help us and to guide us and to understand your word. Father, we're so thankful for that. Father, help us never be ashamed to follow the guidance of your spirit. Help us to be folks that you are proud of because we listen, we obey the spirit's leading. Thank you for all things in Jesus' name.